Every day, during this great and terrible pause, Cood Street is spending ten minutes or so with readers and book lovers from around the world, asking them what they're reading and what they'd recommend to anyone with a bit of time on their hands. Today I'm spending ten minutes or so with the author of Jin City and the Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday, the fabulous Saad Zen Hussain, who joins me from somewhere to the west. Hello, Saad. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well, and how are you? Well, uh, yeah, we're still in lockdown, so, you know, we've we've been stuck indoors. Uh, it's okay, but uh, I think the cases are going up now in Bangladesh, so so we're, we're, we're getting a bit nervous. Uh, there are no hospitals and stuff, so if you get sick, you're basically done. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that, that is, that's awful, actually. It's not, not terribly much fun at all. So, I mean... I am completely ignorant of publishing and book selling in Bangladesh. How how are books getting into the country particularly? Does a lot of English language science fiction come in? Uh, I realize it's a kind of a really ignorant, dumb question, but I'm just sort of curious. Like, Do books like The Gurkhan Lord of Tuesday find their way in? Well, uh, it's there's about two or three bookstores and then a, a few online stores that bring English books. But the vast majority of the other stores are just Bangla books. There's, there's like thousands of Bangla books being published every year. Uh, Bangla, Bengali literature has a really long tradition, you know, and, and there's 400 odd million Bengalis, you know, reading uh, Bangla. So, so the English penetration of the market is really small. And it really is this, you know, kind of this generation, my generation, or, or a couple of generations before who, who even, uh, reading in English, but everybody else used to read in Bangla. Uh, the, for the Gurkha, it was funny because I had to bring uh, bring the books from India. So I, I actually bought the book in India in uh, uh, in India, basically. Uh, and I personally bought it and bought it and then I, I gave it to the bookstore and then they they simply sold it to me personally, about 500 copies, and then I, I gave it to the book. Wow! So I mean, uh, is is there? My friend, I'm curious. Is there much of a tradition in Bangla, in Bangladesh, of what we would re- what what might be recognised in you know, in English markets as science fiction or as fantasy, or is it a different kind of tradition completely? No, there is, uh, there is a, there is a, some quantity of science fiction or fantasy, but uh, it's not, it's not as big as it is in English. I mean, uh, right now, I would say like science fiction and fantasy in English, in the English-speaking world, is kind of mainstream. I mean, I think it's the, it's actually the popular literature. Uh, I mean, if you look at all the biggest gross TV shows or movies, it's all. Uh, so, so. Even 20 years ago, when it was kind of just for nerds, uh, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons players in your basement, or uh, this is it's it's, a, it's it's become much more mainstream in English. I'm not sure in in other cultures it is. Uh, yeah. Well, let me let me ask yet. you. Let me let me ask you then, probably more sort of coming back to yourself during this strange time that we all are caught in are you finding yourself able to to read to write to function in a creative way or is it bringing it all to kind of a pause 
Yeah, no, it's all it's all come crashing down. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, there's I've written nothing. I just spend all day playing video games because, uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> it feels like this is just, yeah, it's a pause. Nothing you do counts. And, uh, yeah, I think just the, the anxiety of uh, when life is going to get back to normal yeah. and just the, the, the general concerns, uh, it, it just drives out. Uh, I haven't been able to do any kind of creative work. Reading a little bit, but then, you know, I've, I think I've regressed. I mean, to childhood, I'm, I'm reading uh, manga, basically. I'm reading my yeah. son's uh, comics. <laughs> uh, hey, look, a lot of know. people are. A lot of people are turning to manga right now. So actually, well, then let me ask you then, what are you reading at the moment? And critically, is it any good? <laughs> so I'm reading a, a manga called One Piece, which is kind of the longest running manga on pirates. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, it, and it's uh, it's nice to read read these stories when your kids are reading them, because then you have something to kind of talk about and uh, bond over. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I, I tried reading. Uh, I started a bunch of fantasy stories. Uh, uh, I, I just finished a series by Miles Cameron. Uh, and then I did a I read. uh some other, uh, I, I just couldn't finish. So then I've I've gone back to some of my old favorites, which are kind of uh, go-to books sure, that I have. You know, when I'm just, I've got the Counter Monte Cristo out. <laughs> started reading that, the unabridged version. You can just get lost in it. You know, it's just dense with all these details, and and I've got this Jane Austen uh, complete works. Yeah. So I just I just uh, I love reading Jane Austen. Uh, I just like the sarcastic tone she has, you know, it, mm-hmm. it really, it's really uh, helps me cheer up. So actually you can, you can back something up. If you're, if you're rereading the Count of Monte Cristo, I've only read an expurgated version when I was a kid and I was talking to someone else in this series of podcasts who's reading it. And they said, I mean, I know it's like 1200 pages long, right? They said there's a big long section where they spend a lot of time basically swanning around in Paris, taking drugs. Is that true? Uh, yeah, well, they're they're in they're in Rome a lot, uh, and they're in Paris a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the the thing is the unabridged version is is uh, is much better because the most of it isn't about revenge. The most of it is about uh, the characters. Yeah, exactly. Just drinking, eating, <laughs> playing cards, and and yeah, the the Count of Monte Cristo when he comes to Paris has has hashish in his uh, kind of. Walking stick. Yeah. Okay. Exactly, and, and and he keeps giving hashish to to uh, all his friends. And yeah, yeah, the, yeah exactly. Uh, and he kind of recreates that uh, assassins, uh, you know, the Hassan ibn Saba myth, where they used to take uh, hashish and then enter a dream world of, of, of a paradise. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how he used to convert his uh, assassins, basically. Yeah. And so it's kind of a, a, I think that's a romanticized story about the the islamic uh sect you yeah. know that uh really took root in your because because you always see mention of that and hashish is a very romanticized drug yeah uh, so do you find i mean it's obviously like sort of it preempts the question i was going to ask which is you know what would you recommend people would read at a time like this and it sounds like old favorites are the kind of comfort that you know a time like this really suits you're know, going back to 
the Kind of Monte Cristo, Jane Austen, whatever it might be for you, for a particular reader, rather than going into new territory, challenging books, that kind of thing? Yeah, because, you know, I think right now, whatever you read is going to be colored by your own anxiety of, I mean, nobody in living has really experienced this kind of global pandemic before. I mean, uh, you know, uh, not in this way, not with this much information. And information adds to your anxiety, right? Because if you don't know what's happening, then you just carry on with your lives. But now you're bombarded with with continuous death tolls around the world, which is just, you know, overwhelming sometimes. So, yeah, I think now it's very difficult to tackle new, uh, new literature and new creative works because you're you're being colored by this kind of dystopian future anyway. Uh, I, oh, I was I was also reading the culture uh, by the Ian Banks. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's that's the kind of softest, lightest utopian science fiction there is. You know, even even when it's dark. It's got that whimsical quality. And uh, so, uh, you know, these, yeah, I think the old favorites, uh, there's merit in in reading the things that really made you happy. And uh, I think for, for, for many of us readers, I mean, uh, you know, we have a very emotional bond to certain books because you read them when you were a teenager, when you're, you know, uh, your emotional flex is very high. Right. Like, like, you know, your, your reaction to everything is much stronger. And so you retain that kind of almost chemical bond to those, to those worlds. Uh, and it's nice to revisit uh, yeah. uh, those stories. Well, actually, let me ask you, since you mentioned the culture, do you feel that the culture has influenced your own work? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would hope so. Uh, I, I. I enjoyed it so much. I mean, it's one of those series that I like to go back to. And the thing with, with, uh, sorry. Yeah. The, no, no. the thing with, uh, the, the culture books, um, I never remember the exact stories. <laughs> I just remember the kind of mood. Yeah. The feel of them. Right? Yeah. The, yeah. The atmosphere of it. And, and that kind of reminds me a little bit of, of, uh, Murakami. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I also never remember the actual plot. Yeah. Uh, the the plots are almost nonsensical. I mean, they're almost not there. They're so yeah. uh, so faint. But uh, the atmosphere is amazing, and and those are worlds you want to live in. And you know, if if you can't reproduce that, at least you want to recreate something similarly powerful. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess so, I, I ask because I I detect in your work a similar lightness of tone in places a desire to have humor in there as well as there being a, a connection with a kind of practical utopianism that drives the underpinnings of the stories. At least that, that's what I take from them at times. The look, the humor part is, I think that's kind of the, the style of writing that I'm most comfortable with. And, mm-hmm. and when you're writing in, in a kind of lengthy pieces, uh, it's difficult to, move away from your bread and butter essentially sure sure so that kind of a, a little bit of a sarcastic tone of, uh, the, the other thing is i think you any any story deserves some humor i think uh, you need to uh you need to use humor to connect with the 
with the readers, and I think they deserve it because I think these these long bleak tomes with nothing like in them, while they're very moving. Uh, afterwards, I mean, you just it, it it does feel very heavy, and I, I don't I don't really want to depress my readers. Uh, you know, I don't want to burden them with that much. Uh, darkness. I mean, you know. Sure, but having said that, there is a real. I mean, we're sort of segueing into what we talk about, what, what you've coming up. But there's a real substance still to the underpinnings. I mean, like if you look at the Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday, there's a real underpinning to the kind of the problems in the world, the kind of things that are being commented on. It's just that the perspective that's put on top of them is one that allows you, if you like, to bear that, because you you wouldn't call the background of the world in. Uh, in, in the Gurkha and Lord of Tuesday particularly, a, a utopian vision, would you? No, sure. I mean, it's a wrecked world. But, yeah. but you know, we, we know we know that we're facing a wrecked world. We've already wrecked the world uh, in many ways. Uh, whether we can recover to a, a a livable standard, I mean, it begs the question, livable for who? Uh, it's, clear, it's clear that it will not be livable for a lot of people. And... Uh, I think that's that's something we have to understand that, look, you could make pockets of perfectly utopian spaces. It already exists in this world. But there are also pockets of very hellish spaces. And uh, it's, it's uh, unfair if you don't really work to improve those spaces. If you kind of write off half the world's population uh, as, you know, uh, you know, it's flooded. What can we do? Uh, that's a bit of a shame. Uh, so we, 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 I think we're already in that. I think we're already in that. It's a degree of, of how much of it is going to be bearable and how much is not. And if only 10% of the world is bearable and all the millionaires are holed up in it, well, we're <laughs> out of luck. <laughs> well out of luck. Well out of luck. So I guess, what do you have out in the world and is what do you have coming up that you might want to mention to listeners so they can get out and start buying them? <laughs> well, Gurkha well, is doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. It just got shortlisted for this Locus uh, yeah. 2020 novella, which, uh, you know, as my editor, uh, you know, I've, I'm sure you're also happy about that. Very happy. Uh, very happy. But, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. But the, the thing is, look, Writing English in sitting in Bangladesh, uh, writing in English, I, I barely have any readers in Bangladesh. I mean, yeah. just a, you know, a handful because it's, it's, you know, there's not, English literacy is not the highest here. Uh, so, so it's very difficult to judge if I'm any good or not. And all I really wanted to, was some indication that I'm, I'm good enough. You know, it's not like some kind of vanity publishing project here. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it's nice to get get that degree of uh, you know some kind of validation. Uh, uh, Gorka, you know, is a kind of. It, it, I think it suits the times because Gorka in Gorka you deal with uh, situations with a lot of black humor, and and I can see that in real life now. Uh, People are dealing with with their COVID lockdowns with a, with a, with a degree of fatalism and a degree of uh, of, of black humor, uh, which is you know the, not a bad way to go. 
No. Actually, let me ask you, what would your, what would your elevator pitch be for the Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday? Uh, excessively bombastic Jin wakes up and finds a world he absolutely just cannot deal with. Mm-hmm. Yet, is, he's hell-bent on conquering. And kind of does, sort of, maybe. He does, but, but he's really at the mercy of, of, of everybody around him. <laughs> yes. He, he's completely powerless in, in every way that counts. Every, yes. Uh, he's, he's, he's just reactive, but, but yet he has enormous destructive power, so it's kind of uh, yeah. odd, odd situation. But uh, I, had a, I had a great time writing it, so, <laughs> you know. So you've got the Gurkha and Lord of Tuesday, which is out in the world right now, there's a story which is related to that world in Made to Order. And I don't think it's out of line to say that next year there'll be a new uh, story coming out in that world, Kundo Wakes Up, which will flesh out that world further. Do you feel like you're going to do more work in that space? Does it continue to attract and interest you? Or is that something you feel like you've kind of done? Uh, I, You know, I think I'll... I'll... I'll definitely stick around a little bit because I do like the gins and I like the the kind of wrecked world uh, situation that uh, that exists in in Gorkha and, and also in Kundo, which you're you've of, of course got the first draft of, <laughs> so you you read it or parts of it at least. Um, no, I've read it and I like it very much. So yeah, I mean, I mean, Kundo's kind of more of a of a personal story of of a regular person and yeah. not so much uh, on power, but but again, it's also how do you deal with uh, a world that's falling apart? Yeah, uh, and 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 I think that's uh, it's it might not be falling apart in the same way in reality, but but our reality is falling apart. It's fracturing yes. right in front of our eyes, undeniably. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, who gets sacrificed in this kind of a great churn is, uh, you know, it could be it could be you, it could it could be writers, it could be publishers, it could be editors. Which industry goes? Uh, which yeah. you know, country sinks? I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be Pollyannish, but what I'd like to think is what might happen is that the fact that this particular problem we're facing is so global, so all encompassing for everybody, that just maybe it might make some people realize that all of the problems that we face are actually global and all-encompassing, and that you don't get to save one of us without trying to save all of us. I mean, you know what? The kind of people who would realize that think that way anyway. Yeah. I I think. I mean, I I think that you're generally kind-hearted, educated, uh, kind of liberal people anyway tend to consider all humans related in some way. Yeah. I, I think actually the, the, the vast majority, I mean, you know, the kind of right wing, the increase of right wingery around the world indicates that actually there is a lot of people who, who do not accept this point of view and who prefer a kind of tribal outlook. And I really doubt that this is going <laughs> to change their minds. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to change their minds, but I'd, I'd like to think that underpinning the kind of stories that you're telling is a belief that we should be aware of 
all of the people who are going to be affected by these stories so that we can maybe can develop some kind of empathy for, for them and include them in the attempted rescue package when it comes. Yeah, look, I mean, empathy, I think, is, yeah, is, is exactly built with personal interaction. So, yeah. you know, if you've never, if you never interacted with a person of a different culture, then you can fear them and hate them in peace. Yes. Because you, you have no point of reference. Yeah. But then if you're, you know, let's say you hate Martians, but you never dealt with the Martians, so, you know, you're fine. Yeah, that's you're true. like, okay, you know, I don't care. These Martians are, you know, they're throwing rocks at us from Mars and they're hateful and we, you know, but then let's say if you, got a, you get a Martian doctor, then all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, all Martians are bad, but then this guy's my doctor and, you know, he's saving my life. He's really nice. Yeah. So I hate most Martians, but I don't hate the doctor. <laughs> I don't hate his family because, you know, they're they're nice people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, personal contact is what breaks down. Uh, I think that's true. I think that's very true. Of, right. So, so yeah, I mean, and, and, and books are personal contact. I mean, yeah. reading somebody's work is a is an act of personal contact. Yeah, you you don't have to meet them, but yeah. you're inside their head, and they're also inside your head. Let me ask uh, you this. There's a lot of talk in Western science fiction about inclusiveness, about changing perspectives, and it really connects with what you're saying, to me at least, and that is that one of the great values of getting stories from outside the, nor- the, the, the usual range of places you get stories is that it does that. It makes places alive. I mean, when people read Kunda Wakes Up, you know, it's set in Dhaka, right? And, yeah, yeah. and that brings that place alive somewhat. When you read something set anywhere else in the world, wherever it is, whether it be in Nigeria, whether it be in South America, whether it be in Western Australia, that place becomes real and you can't, you can't give up places, surrender them when they're real to you, can you? Or not, not as easily. Exactly, yeah, and and you feel a nostalgia for those those places and those people, uh, purely based on the book, right? And so it's very hard to then harbor resentment against those actual people who live there, because you're like in my head, I've got I've got this great happy picture of this place, and I already love this place, and I've never been there, I've never met those people, but I'm sympathetic to them. Yeah, you know. So if I happen to meet somebody from Western Australia, let's say, and I, and I really love Western Australian sci- sci-fi, mm-hmm. I would immediately go and talk to them in a, in a friendly sure. way. I wouldn't be hostile, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's great. Uh, but the, the other side of the argument is, you know, those stories have to be good and those yeah. authors have to be good. Of course. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you shouldn't get a free pass. No, uh, but I don't think anyone's talking about that. I think sometimes, though, one of the barriers, be it language, be it the practicalities of publication, whatever else is, there's a lot of great stuff. It's just we don't always see it. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of English language science fiction. It tends to get pushed out into the world anyway. From what you tell me, there's a lot of Bangla science fiction that we're not seeing that would no mm-hmm. doubt be rewarding and interesting if we had access to it. So it's finding some way to break down those barriers. And there are some signs around the world of that happening if we can save from killing each other or blowing each other up. You know, you see it coming out of China, coming out of South Korea now and some other places. So hopefully, you know, we will begin to see avenues opening up to get more Bangla science fiction out into the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the Chinese, you know, the, the it's brilliant. The, the three-body problem, mm-hmm. the, the whole series. Uh, 
uh, yeah, I mean, imagine like most countries probably have like two or three, sure, you know, really excellent works like that, you know, hidden away, and you're you could just spend all your life reading all of that if it if it was available translated into English. The whole thing is, look, it has to be in English, and I'm not knocking any language, but the global conversation is in English. Yeah. So if you want to take part in the conversation, you have to write in English, mm. or it has to be available in English. Somebody yes. really good has to translate it. Yeah. Uh, and that is what it is. But then, that's the only way to 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 communicate with other people is if the language is the same. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, I, I I personally feel that if everybody wrote in English, it would break down a lot of the cultural barriers. Yeah, uh, I, I'd like to think there's some some reasonable obligation too on English language publishers to try and arrange translation. It can't be a one a, a, you know, a one way street. It can't just be putting a pressure on non English speaking writers to learn English, write English. Whatever else, there really is a reasonable uh, expectation. I think there should be a reasonable expectation that we, that we reach out. The only thing is, I guess, finding a mechanism to discover the work. You know, it's like bit by bit, it's breaking down in some places, and I'm hoping it will continue through, yeah, you know, through your part of the world. So we'll hear more voices because until I'd stumbled on Gin City, until I'd stumbled upon the story that you did in was it the Gin in Love, the anthology? Yeah, yeah. I'd not heard of your work before. Uh, and I don't know that I would have, so I'm, I'm glad, I'm genuinely de- delighted that I did. And I'm very interested in what else exists in, in you know, in Bangla, even though I don't re- get rid of it. And so I'm, I'm hoping some publishers will, will, will step up. You know, that the translating is hard because I, I, it's, first of all, it's like a, it's an unrewarded skill. And, uh, translators get, neither paid well nor do they get any credit true so there isn't even the kind of <laughs> the cachet of being a, <laughs> yes. a writer yes no money get, no get, fame yeah get, get, <laughs> exactly you don't even get a free glass of wine you know for parties <laughs> or whatever so uh it's it's a thankless job and and honestly i've got uh i mean the the kind of literary community of of english writing in in bangladesh is very small yeah. you know we're all friends and uh, there are no translators really and uh, nobody wants to do it even the people mm. who have the skills in both languages yeah just don't want to do it it's just too hard yeah i understand uh, and and too 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 uh, time consuming and not not well paid enough yeah uh, so yeah you know i i i really i it's a shame because I imagine there are like, uh, like that, like that Chinese sci-fi uh, series. I mean, I imagine there's real treasures. I'm sure. In a way, everywhere. there have to be. I mean, it's, it, that, it would be the that, most appalling kind of entitlement to imagine that the entire rest of the planet that don't happen to write in English are are not producing wonderful science fiction. Yeah, exactly. And fantasy and whatever, just because exactly. people writing in English do. That would be appalling. And I would hope that. Each of those places would get their, if you like, their Ken Liu kind of person who come along and start facilitating that process because it seems like that's something that needs to happen. And, you know, hopefully it will. But look, in the meantime, for the moment, 
Gin City's out in the world. The Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday is out in the world. I'll add note, links in the show notes. Kundo Wakes Up will be coming out next year. And for the moment, thank you, Saad Hussain, for spending some time with me today. I genuinely appreciate it. No, no, thank you very much for having me.